Our special City Club of Idaho Falls broadcast tonight features the Republican primary candidate forum for the State Superintendent of Public Instruction. Debbie Critchfield, Brandon Durst, and Sherry Ybarra were all in attendance. This program was sponsored by the Idaho Humanities Council and the City Club of Idaho Falls at the Tingey Auditorium at University Place in Idaho Falls on April 6th. Moderating the event was Dr. David Adler. Here in Idaho and across America, and certainly as a lifelong educator, I, I share your values and, and your sense of the importance of this discussion tonight. We want to welcome all of you and thank the candidates for coming to Eastern Idaho to discuss their views on the state of education and their sense of where education is going and, and their concerns uh, as we tease out the differences uh, between and among the three candidates. As Lexi indicated, uh, one candidate will emerge to stand against a Democratic opponent in the November election. Of course, the willingness of candidates to participate in this kind of debate is a is a marked example of the continued interest that Americans have in candidates participating in debates, which of course goes all the way back at least to the famous Lincoln-Douglas debates. And so it's very important for the public to have an opportunity to hear sharpened differences among the candidates as they make their way to the polls. So it's my pleasure tonight to introduce our three candidates because this is a an audience that's familiar with our candidates, a sophisticated audience, well-informed. I'll dispense with a thorough review of their respective resumes, knowing that they'll also talk a bit in their opening remarks about their own backgrounds and their own credentials for the office. Uh, suffice it to say that the rules have been provided to our candidates uh, in advance, and let me just review them for all of you. Each candidate will begin with a five-minute presentation during the category of opening remarks. Each candidate will also have three minutes for closing remarks. The questions that I pitch to the candidates uh, will afford each candidate two minutes to respond. And then as moderator's prerogative, I'll ask candidates to reply to criticisms or comments uh, on points and issues that are raised throughout. So we're looking very much forward to this. Our three candidates include, of course, the incumbent, uh, Ms. Sherry Yabara, also a former educator. We have a former State Board of Education president here in Debbie Critchfield, and a former member of both the State House and the State Senate in Brandon Durst. May I ask the three of you to come forward now and stand behind your podiums. Thank you very much. So by pre-arrangement, we'll open uh, with remarks uh, from our incumbent superintendent, Ms. Yabara. Please, five minutes. Thank you very much. I um, just want to give a heartfelt uh, thank you to uh, City Club of Idaho Falls for the invitation to be here tonight. Uh, I am your current state superintendent of public instruction, Sherry Ibarra. Uh, again, I appreciate the opportunity to talk to you all and inform you about why uh, I would like to serve another term as Idaho State Superintendent of Public Instruction. My life's work as a classroom teacher uh, as a vice principal, as a principal, as a federal programs director, as a curriculum director, and a district office administrator ha has prepared me well 
for ensuring that our kids get the quality education that they deserve. I look back over the seven years that I've had the honor of serving you all in this room, and we have a lot to be proud of, a lot of positive momentum in education, and I'll give you a few examples. These are not my statistics, these are third-party statistics. And uh, under my leadership, we have moved from 31st in the nation to 17th for achievement. We are fifth in the nation for college and career ready. We are number one in the nation for college credits earned while still in high school. And our five-year graduation rate is at an all-time high. Under my leadership, we've secured a hundred or more million dollars of new money for public education. Uh, and so we have brought our improvement plan to life under my leadership. And our over 300,000 students deserve an experienced superintendent who knows what to keep that's working and what to throw out that's not working as we move forward in education. Uh, what I will also say under my leadership is I've done the job that Idahoans have asked me to do. I showed up and the first thing they said was superintendent or Mrs. Ibarra at that time, we are tired of being last for everything. We are tired of being last for achievement. We're tired of being last for funding. And going from 31st to 17th in the nation for achievement was no easy feat. I also got to sit uh, with some colleagues a few weeks ago around a table and talk about how we performed during the pandemic academically. And we have a lot to be proud of. Our kids, once again, outperformed many of the neighboring states during the pandemic because why? Idaho schools were primarily open. We closed temporarily for a little bit, uh, but when I saw what I saw and I didn't like it, I ran the in-person learning bill to get our kids back into classrooms. It was the best thing that we ever did, of course, still protecting local control uh, while doing that, and uh, never once did I support a mask mandate or vaccine mandates, uh, but we do have a lot to be proud of. and. Uh, should I have the honor right now of returning as your state superintendent of public instruction, uh, I want to continue that positive momentum and make Idahoans proud. And I'm asking uh, that you stick with me while I take Idaho to the top 10 in the nation. I've already proven what I'm capable of doing. Uh, and again, I just humbly ask that I get to be your state superintendent of public instruction once again while we reach top 10 in the nation and raise the profession of educators across our state. And I will just close with this. Uh, like the kids always say, uh, please vote for Sherry in the primary. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. Jubara. And uh, Mr. Durst. Thank you, David. Appreciate the opportunity to be here tonight. Thanks to the City Club of Idaho Falls for providing us this forum to speak and to be able to share our views. Um, I'm going to start off with a quotation that I think is quite instructive and provides a lot of guidance for me. It says, a man must not only stand for the right principles, but he must also fight for them. Those who fight for principles can be proud of the friends they've gained and the enemies they have earned. That's a quotation from Ezra Taft Benson, and it's something that I believe very strongly in. This campaign is one where I'm not trying to make friends with everyone because I know that I'm going to say things this evening that are going to upset many of you in the audience and many that watch this debate later. And that's okay, because I believe it's important that I give the same message no matter where I am, so, I'm, so that way you know that I respect you enough to share with you what I really believe and not try to provide a different message depending upon who's hearing me. I believe that this race comes down to, a competing, to, to, to two competing visions for the future of Idaho schools. 
One vision, which is represented by my two opponents, is a vision of an insider, someone who believes that experts know best, they know better than parents, and that we should continue to double down on a system that's failed so many parents and so many children in the schools. I have a very different vision. I have a vision of an outsider, someone who believes that we need to do things differently, that we need to put, children back, that we need to put parents back in the driver's seat of their children's education, that we need to get government out of the way, and we need to let parents lead their children just as God intended them to. That's my vision, and that's a very, very, very different vision than my opponents. My background is quite varied. As you've heard, I was a former state member of the House and Senate. Superintendent Ibarra mentioned the number of students that are getting college credits before they graduate from high school. I'm pleased to be the person that put that bill into law. And so when she talks about that, I appreciate that because that's something that I did that's actually had a positive impact on the people of Idaho and the students. In fact, we've had almost 9,000 hours of, cl of classes taken as a result of the legislation that we got through for the Advanced Opportunities Program, which we started originally in 2010 and re-upped again in 2013. And so that's, that's something I'm very proud of. But my background also includes being a small business owner, uh, having a master's degree in public policy. I'm the only one in this race that has a varied background. I think you have to have a wider background to understand how state government actually works. This position is not just about being the lead educator, being the lead advocate for schools. This is about recognizing the, the enormity of state government and understanding how it works. And I have a unique background to understand what that looks like. I'll also be earning an education specialist degree in executive educational leadership in May. So I've got the academic training and the professional background to be quite successful in this position. Now my race is coming down to three primary issues. The number one is that we need to get rid of Common Core. You may hear tonight that we've gotten rid of Common Core. That's just a bald-faced lie. We haven't. You know how we know? Because the lobbyists who are profiting from Common Core worked in the legislature this last session to stop any bills that got passed. Number two, we have to stop critical race theory and all indoctrination practices which the state board and the state superintendent's office have allowed to, to creep into the state of Idaho. And number three, we have to have money to follow students to their parents' school of choice, no matter what that looks like. In light of recent U.S. Supreme Court cases, Idaho is now in the position where we can actually have money follow students to every school and give every parent a chance to choose which school their children goes to. We don't have to, your parents should no longer be captive and students should no longer be captive by the school that they're, by the zip code of their home or the size of their bank account. Every parent should be able to choose whatever school that they feel is best for them. And if their local school isn't doing what they'd like them to do, they should have the opportunity to go someplace else. Again, this race comes down to a very simple contrast. If you want more of the same, my opponents are the great option. If you want real change happening in our schools, if you feel like the things that have happened in the last uh, two, last two to seven years haven't been good enough, then I'd respectfully ask for your support because I'm the only one who's offering real change for our schools, who's willing to do things that need to be done, who's willing to ruffle the feathers that need to be ruffled to get things done to be able to help kids and to put parents back where they belong. Thank you so much. Thank you. And now Ms. Critchfield. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here tonight and I appreciate the opportunity uh, to have what I think is the most important discussion that we can have in the state and that is how we serve our students and how we educate them, how we prepare them for the world around them for the opportunities of a growing state. I want to share briefly a little bit about my background. Uh, my husband and I raised four children in the Magic Valley area where we have farmed and uh, we have two grandchildren there. 
And uh, we had a wonderful experience having our children be a part of the educational system. And I got involved in the local school system when my children were very young, first as a parent volunteer, then later I substitute taught for six years, and I also uh, spent some time working for the College of Southern Idaho teaching a number of their uh, GED courses. We also um, had the opportunity as a family, um, for me, my family supported me in um, my effort to become elected to the Kaja County School Board, which is a consolidated district that makes up five communities in the area. And I spent 10 wonderful years as a volunteer on that board, half of those as chair, having the opportunity to understand um, how policy um, impacts what's going on in the classroom, how budgeting influences the, the outcomes for our students how we work with people, how we work within the system, whether it is with parents and, um, and or educators. Uh, following the, my uh, service on the local board, I had the opportunity to first be appointed to Idaho State Board of Education, first by Governor Otter, and then later, later reappointed by Governor Little. I've served on the board for seven years. I stepped away last fall so that I could uh, concentrate on being a full-time candidate. During that time for the last, or the, the two years uh, prior to um, me stepping away, I was uh, fortunate to be elected by my peers, including one of my opponents, um, as president of that board. And as a policy-making board that serves kindergarten through post-medical graduate, post-graduate medical education, I had another opportunity to gain great experience on how policy impacts not only the classroom, but each in individual district across the state, how we need to work collaboratively with each branch of government, and how important it is to reestablish and to establish trust and confidence in those that we are serving. For the last nine years, I have worked as the Kaja County Communications Director and Public Relations Officer, which means that I directly worked with parents and community leaders to establish the, the connections and provide meaningful opportunities for our parents to, to um, work and to provide input and feedback into our community. I have a, a nearly 20 years of experience at every level of education and feel very ready and, and willing to serve our state. I want to share with you why I'm running. I'm running as a candidate because leadership in education matters. I'm running as a candidate because our students matter. I don't know of anybody that doesn't think that our parents matter. I'm a parent. I'm a grandparent. I know how important that is too. I don't know of anyone who doesn't think that how we prepare and what we teach our children isn't important. I'm running because Idaho deserves a strong educational leader that can create and set the vision for the needs of the 21st century. I'm running because our students are important and I want to prepare them both personally and financially for them to make the decisions that they need to be, that need to be made outside of high school and so that they can be contributing citizens. That's the goal of education. Education itself is not an outcome. It's the way in which we train and prepare our future leaders, our future community builders, our future parents. I feel very strongly about this leadership piece. And um, as a board member last year, I had a moment during the, the crazy of all that, that we were um, working through as I was fielding calls and, and working with school boards and superintendents and teachers and parents around the state. I sat down and I thought to myself, what is the vision for Idaho education? I couldn't come up with it. And I was someone sitting at the state education table. That's what has propelled me to change positions from an appointed volunteer to an elected official 
that will have the kind of influence and impact that not only we need, but we expect in Idaho. I'm excited and hopeful about the future and ready to lead. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Um, one of the concerns that many Idahoans have expressed over the years is the fact that uh, per pupil expenditure on education dollars here in this state ranks Idaho near or at the very bottom. One of your responsibilities as superintendent is to uh, make the case to the legislature uh, for the need for increased expenditures. Uh, let me ask each of you then, how will you do that and what about your background suggests that you have the skills to accomplish that? We'll start here, Mr. Critchfield. Sure, thank you. Um, I, I shared some of the experience that I've had um, with, with budgeting and um, with working with the legislature. I think how uh, the advocacy takes place from the state superintendent is critical for those investments. The legislature, they're the bankers. They want to know what the return on the investment is. And having um, an ability to sit down and be collaborative and have those conversations and show those things, here were the investments that you made in education, here are the results. I frankly don't uh, fault some who are concerned about what's been happening, what has been the accountability there and those results. I would say that part of the process for understanding what we need has to take in a, a, a statewide discussion about what does it cost to educate a kid in Idaho. And it's not always about more money, but it's about prioritizing. It's about figuring out how we provide more local budgeting control for our districts so that they're able to pursue their own goals and those things that they think are important and know are important to their community members. Leadership, vision, and understanding are three critical pieces to this. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Durst. That's a good question. Let me, I'm going to respectfully uh, disagree with the premise of the question, which is that it's responsibility of the superintendent to push for more money for public ed. I don't, I don't believe that's true. I think it's responsibility of the superintendent to get results and to have students be prepared to, to accomplish whatever they choose to, 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 to tackle when they graduate from high school. I think that's the job. And that's where I'm focused. My guiding principle is, does this improve student achievement? And if the answer to that question is yes, then we do it. If the answer to that question is no, we don't. And I don't necessarily think putting more money into schools does that. And we have plenty of of empirical data to support that. If putting money into schools resulted in, in better outcomes, then we'd have the best schools in the country in Washington, D.C., where they spend over $40,000 per student. We know that putting more money to student, into schools doesn't necessarily result in better outcomes. But instead, I think what we should be looking at is how do we uh, better equip parents to make decisions so they can be a bigger advocate? And how do we do that? And I've got the legislation to do just that very thing. It's uh, the Empower Parents in Education Act, which you can find on my website, durstfridaho.com slash EPEA. It uh, gives the districts that flexibility that you just heard about. It gives, the gives parents the authority to spend money the way that they want to. As far as the, what is my background, what, what's in my background that shows that I'm able to get these things done? Well, I've, I've passed quite a bit of education law in the state of Idaho. Uh, I've done a lot of things in the legislature that, frankly, none of these two ladies have. Why? Because I'm the only one that's standing up here today that's ever served in the legislation. I've served in both chambers. And so I'm intimately familiar with the, the legislative process and I'm uniquely prepared for it. And I would just point out the state of Idaho has never once elected a former legislator to be a state superintendent. That is what most state superintendents do before they get elected. And so I think it's time for Idaho to do what every other state is, most other states have done, and put somebody in the position of, in the state superintendency that understands how state government works. Thank you. Thank you. Ms. Ybarra? 
Uh, yes, thank you very much. Uh, I would disagree that you don't need an educator in this position. I am the only certified teacher, certified principal, and certified superintendent in this race in front of you today. And I just want you to think about the fact that would you want a lawyer as your attorney general? Yes. I think you would want a teacher for your state superintendent of public instruction as well. We had one before me that we was not. And Idaho was asking me when I was elected to make sure I looked at achievement, which check we looked at, but now funding. And we are still last for funding, I will say that. But we are making some strides. I will also say we get a lot of bang for our buck in Idaho. When I just rattled off those uh, achievements that we have, we are leading the nation when it comes to achievement. We are leading the nation in advanced opportunities. And contrary to what my opponent tells you about he uh, ran the bill for advanced opportunities, he's not implementation. That is my job. Uh, the legislature sets the law, the superintendent carries that out. And I have carried out two sets of governor's task force recommendations. Uh, and the next one actually relates to the funding formula. Yes, it is the legislature that sets the funding formula. It is not the state superintendent of public instruction. It is my job to make recommendations. It is my job to go across the street and ask the legislature for that nearly $100 million or more of money that we've received for public education since I took office. But strategic investments are what we need, a plan. And not necessarily more money gets you what you need. But some of the things we've worked on in the funding formula, we have a system of haves and have-nots. Everybody knows that. Some people can run a levy and some people cannot. And so we also need to move away from uh, the attendance-based model and into an enrollment-based model, which we are working on. And we need to uh, get rid of some of those line items that are hand-stringing hand -stringing, hamstringing our districts. They need more local control so that they can make those decisions. They're the ones with the kids. They're the ones making the decisions that Thank are you. nearest to our students. So Thank we're you. doing that work right now. Thank you. Thank you, Superintendent. Uh, one of the, one of the uh, issues closely linked to the overall general funding for education happens to be the monies available for teacher salaries. As you three well know, uh, salaries of school teachers here in Idaho lag behind our neighbors and we lose some teachers each year to neighboring states. Uh, starting with you, Mr. Durst, how much does it bother you uh, that Idaho teachers are leaving the state uh, to take positions that pay much more uh, than the Idaho budget allows the state to pay teachers? Well, I think the, the real question is what are we doing about retention and how can we improve that, the, the issue? In fact, my capstone, my EDS program is on retention in, in faculty in K-12 environment. So something I'm very intimately familiar with. Um, I can tell you that Idaho will never be able to compete on a dollar per dollar basis with many of our surrounding states. Wyoming, for example, has oil reserves. We don't have access to the same sorts of things. Washington State has Microsoft and Amazon. You know, we can't compete with states that just have so much more money than we have. So what we need to do is we need to change the value proposition for educators. We need to give them more flexibility. We need to, we need to have less students in, in their classes. We need to allow them to, we need to cut the strings the government has placed on them that's taking away the joy of teaching. That's what we need to focus on because we're not going to be able to compete on the price point. That's not possible. We don't have the revenue. Idaho already spends almost 66% of its budget, general fund budget, on, on, on K-12 education. That puts us in the top 10 of the United States on as a percentage of general fund. There's, there's not much, much more room to go. 
And so we have to stop lying to constituents and saying we're going to put more money in education when we just don't have the revenue to do it. And so we need to change the value proposition. We need to put teachers in a position where they can be successful. We need to, like I said, we need to shrink class sizes. We need to give them more autonomy as professionals. And we also need to make sure that we get rid of all the red tape that's keeping them from doing their job well. That's how I think we solve this crisis, because right now we are losing teachers. And in fact, we're losing teachers between districts, which goes back to why I think we need to fix the funding formula. Because if, depending upon what part of the state you're in, you may get $9,000 per student, or you may get $6,500 per student from the state of Idaho. That's wrong. We need, to, we need to level the playing field. We need to give every student the same amount of money, relatively speaking, not including our small districts. And we need to make sure that we're doing the best by our teachers and the best by our parents and the best by our students. Thank you. Um, Ms. Yubara, please. Thank you very much. Um, I am the superintendent who knows that over 80% of the budget is staffing. Uh, the rest of the budget is, is those line items that I just talked to you about. So um, I am a teacher. And the things that I have done since I took office, uh, I had a teacher come up to me at, at a meeting not too long ago. And she said, ever since you took office, I've seen my salary go up. Uh, the career ladder, that was something that the stakeholders around the state told me to make sure I kept in place. And it was a governor's task force recommendation. So we did that. And we're keeping that in place so teachers have hope and can see their scheduled raises uh, as they um, uh, you know, take time in the classroom to be with our kids. Number two, uh, you saw me this year ask for bonuses for our teachers. And the legislature uh, fulfilled that ask and then went a step further to also give those raises to our classified staff. Because as a former building principal, I know that our support staff is critically important to the work that we do. Uh, I will also quote the National Teacher of the Year and what a couple years ago they said was, there's teacher compensation and there's teacher satisfaction. Uh, and so Idaho's worked really hard and will continue to work hard should I be blessed with another term to make sure that our teachers are compensated. Uh, again, we get a lot of bang for our buck, but the teacher satisfaction piece comes from them saying, you know, there's two things that I need, the National Teacher of the Year. I need respect and I need the time to get the job done. And I have also, uh, in my first term, made sure that we ran a, a teacher appreciation campaign. And I will continue to work on those points uh, should you bless me with another term. Thank you. Uh, Ms. Critchfield. Thank you. Uh, one of the things that I did as a new board member on the State Board of Education uh, nearly seven years ago was participate on a, a statewide uh, study group to look at the teacher recruitment and retention issue. Uh, there was a lot of important data that was contained in that. What, what can we do as a state that doesn't pertain to money? And then what, what can we do that does pertain to the career ladder? A couple years after that report came out, um, I was fortunate to be asked by Governor Little to serve as a co-chair on his task force. And one of the recommendations that we made to him that he later included in his budget was to continue to build out the career ladder. We've made some significant strides there, and I think we need to continued attention there. And I would add to that, um, the proposal and idea that I have that we also look at having a career ladder for our classified and for those people that are uh, considered to be super classified, school psychologists, speech, but they're speech therapists, um, et cetera. And, and, and how we approach, uh, how we talk about that. A couple other things that I wanna uh, bring up with this, uh, the culture and the value and the, um, the respect that we have around the profession is important. One of the things that uh, we need to look at um, as a state is the, the teacher distribution problem that we have. And uh, around the state, it is hard to attract 
experienced teachers and keep more experienced teachers in some of our harder to reach school districts. And these are discussions that take in more than just the education sector, whether it's housing and other issues that are related to the challenges that school districts and school boards are facing to get teachers. It's not all about the salary package. There are other associated challenges that are going to take some leadership and some um, good problem solving. Thank you. Uh, B, uh, here's a follow-up question. Uh, beyond the obvious joy that teachers have for teaching because they don't get rich from the profession, uh, and beyond the additional psychic benefits of enjoying uh, the opportunity of educating the children of Idaho parents, uh, there is a reality that teachers have to pay rent, they hope to buy houses, they have to buy insurance, they have to buy groceries. So one of your opportunities as superintendent would be to think creatively to urge legislators to add, to allocate even further uh, monies. Uh, Mr. Durst, when you say that the education budget uh, consumes 66% or so of our budget, does that mean that you're not willing to suggest to legislators to think creatively and find other sources of money to improve teacher salaries? You so first, what, please. Yeah, thank you, it's a good question. So what it means to me is that instead of building another bathroom on an already broken house, that we fix the bathroom, we fix the entire house first before we put more, put more money into it. See, I see the education system as something that needs a completely complete demolish and then rebuild. That's how I see it. And so when we continue to put money into a system that isn't working, we're just making the job harder when we do finally get to the chance of fixing it. And so I believe we need to start over again. I think we need to look at what we've done and acknowledge that it's not working and figure out creative ways. I agree with the idea of being creative. In fact, that's where the Advanced Opportunities Program came from, is it was a creative idea. Nobody had ever done it before uh, until, until I thought it up. And so if you're looking for somebody that has the ability to cast vision, that has the ability to think creatively in the legislative space, that's what I'm good at. And frankly, the superintendent is not the head teacher in the state of Idaho. They're a head policy manager. That's what they do. Their job is to manage the policy of education for the state of Idaho. You look at the state constitution, you look at, the, at, this, at, the, at Title 33, that's what the job is about. And that's why you need somebody with a background in the legislature to be able to do that well. And I believe that ultimately, if we fix the system correctly, if we get all the inequities out, if we do the things that we're supposed to, if we empower parents and let the money follow students, if at the end of the day, if we get to that space and we still say we need to put more money into the system, then that's a conversation that we can have. But I think it's premature because I think what we need to do first is we need to fix the system as it is. And once we, and like I said, once we've done that, then we can go back to the conversation about whether or not we want to put more money into schools. But let me, as far as teacher pay is concerned, let me just be really clear. The problem is right now is districts are so bound by how they spend the money they receive from the state, they don't have the ability to better compensate a teacher who deserves it. And I think that's wrong. We need to cut those strings. We need, to get, we need to get rid of government, and we need to let teachers and let districts and let parents and let students make decisions. And if we let them have that, that, that flexibility, then the district's going to be able to find and be able to pay those teachers that deserve to be paid more. Because, and it, but I would just finally say this, in many districts in the state, well, I'll, I'll, I'll leave this for next time. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Durst. Uh, same question to you, Ms. Yavaro. Are there creative ideas for urging the legislature uh, to think creatively to allocate additional monies uh, to aid with the assistance of, of, of salaries for teachers. 
I just don't tell people what I do, I do it. And what I did this last session was ask for $1,000 bonuses for the COVID relief dollars to go out to our frontline workers, our teachers uh, in the classrooms. And then again, to those classified staff members who back those teachers up in the classroom helping kids with extra uh, reading time or after school programs uh, to close that achievement gap. The other thing I talked about earlier was the career ladder. That is this, you know, million dollars of investment to our teachers. That is the, the salary increase that are scheduled every single year. So you saw the legislature put more money this year into uh, the career ladder like they're supposed to. Uh, I am appalled that my opponent would stand up here and say uh, that uh, that's not the job of the superintendent is to be the head leader in the state for education. Uh, my title is superintendent of public instruction. And I have served the people well when I showed up for my first job interview. And I am a teacher, and I will continue to seek out those ways, those creative ways that I just explained to you. One more I'd like to share with you this time uh, in the legislature that I'm most proud about, and I've heard a couple people talk about tonight, uh, is working on the insurance plan that we got for teachers. That's another creative way. We've started a bank account. You and I both know I was a teacher. That's a catastrophic plan. You're pay putting half your paycheck into your uh, insurance, and bless your heart for doing the right things for kids. But finally, we're to the point point where we can give you a nice state plan if you so choose in your district for insurance. So you will continue to see me fight for those things for uh, highly qualified and retain those great teachers and leaders in our classrooms uh, for our most important and, and precious commodity across our state, which is our kids. Thank you very much. Ms. Critchfield, are there creative ideas for encouraging legislators to find additional monies to improve the pay that teachers earn in Idaho? I'm going to take a little bit of a different spin on this question. The, the answer to, you, to that question is yes, there are. Um, it's an interesting way that you formed that or whoever formed that to say for the legislature. Um, that's been, to me, a serious gap in the last eight years, that it's not the legislature's job to lead out on education. I have seen a number of very creative ideas coming out of the legislature over the last few years. Some have been successful, some have been not. Uh, the insurance that was just referenced came from legislators. It didn't come from the education official. There are a number of things, loan forgiveness, um, similar programs like Teach for America to incentivize teachers. What has been startling to me as a volunteer appointed member of the Board of Education is that those did not come from the person that was elected to do that. If we're going to get created, if we're going to solve problems, you've got to have someone that understands what their role is, and that's at the front of the room for education. Thank you very much. Uh, let's follow up on your, on your comments about creative thinking to aid teachers. You mentioned loan forgiveness as a possibility. As you know, all three of you know, uh, a number of law schools around the country do, in fact, forgive student loans for those students who work for legal aid. And there are similar programs. AmeriCorps does the same sort of thing. So uh, back to beginning with you, Ms. Yavara, please. Uh, do you think that loan forgiveness uh, is, uh, is a, a piece of legislation that the legislature should look at as a means of improving uh, the salaries and, and indeed the standard of life, uh, quality of life for teachers. Do you favor loan forgiveness programs? 
Um, before I answer that question, I'm going to get back to something that one of my opponents said. They're showing their inexperience to say that the legislature has nothing to do with um, what we do with the creative ideas in education. I didn't see either one of my opponents in the audience uh, when I worked with the, the legislature uh, to get the insurance bill passed. So I, I'll just say that. Uh, but you did see me, and you did see us testify uh, and help the legislature get that through, number one. Number two, uh, when it comes to loan forgiveness, absolutely. Uh, we have teachers uh, that are working in poverty districts and there's already programs out there uh, to help our teachers with loan forgiveness. Uh, the other thing I would say is I'm proud uh, to announce that the U.S. Department of Education is rethinking loan forgiveness, especially right now with the state of our economy. Good grief, we can't even afford to go to the gas pump right now. Uh, I leave my diesel truck at home uh, and take my son's car sometimes to work because it's cheaper. Uh, so why wouldn't teachers be able to uh, take advantage of that in some form? So the U.S. Department of Education has announced that they will uh, re-examine loan forgiveness, uh, that they will really reach out uh, on under public service and a, a few different ways uh, to help teachers take another shot uh, at getting loan forgiveness. Of course, a lot of people right now are rethinking college. That's another problem with teacher uh, uh, attainment and recruitment. Uh, people don't want that debt, especially with the way we're seeing the expense in groceries, uh, gas, and so I'm, I'm pleased that we are looking at ways to help teachers become a teacher, to help those teachers who are working in poverty districts stay there in rural districts. Uh, to get them loan forgiveness because sometimes, uh, you know, that's really difficult with the salary that they earn. But I was one of those teachers who woke up and, and understood that I was not going to be one of those rich teachers someday. We do it because it's right here. We do it for the kids. Thank you very much. Uh, and Mr. Durst, what about that? Are you in favor of loan forgiveness or similar programs to assist teachers in uh, creating a better quality of life for, for themselves and their families? Well, what I hear is I hear about I hear advocacy for more government. And listen, I'm, I'm a conservative. I'm the only conservative on the stage right now. And so um, I don't believe we should make government bigger. I don't think that's the solution to our problems, growing government. I think we need to shrink government. And when you talk about loan forgiveness programs, we're talking about growing government more, giving government more control over our individual lives. Now, when I talk about cutting strings to, uh, to local districts and letting them have more autonomy on how they spend their money, if a local district decides to create um, a loan forgiveness program, as you heard, heard me talk about earlier, about changing the value proposition. If that's something that they want to do to be competitive in their local labor market, I fully support that. But if you're asking me as a state superintendent of schools, if I believe that we should, um, that we should be advocating for that, no. That's, that's not what I believe in. I believe we need to have a conservative leader for once in the state superintendent's office. Someone who actually will decide to try to reduce the size of government. Somebody who wants to reduce the size of their office. That's something I'm committed to doing. And um, frankly, I, I never said, Ms. Ibarra, that we shouldn't have an education advocate. We shouldn't have an education leader. I said that a teacher, that you aren't the head teacher as a state superintendent. You are the head policy person for the state superintendent. It's exactly what Ms. Critchfield was just saying. You didn't come to, the, come to the legislature with those ideas. Those weren't your ideas. And so I think we actually need somebody that actually got a dem has de demonstrated history of creating good ideas and getting them through and being able to do things creatively, that's what I've done. And I'm going to do so as a conservative because that's what I'm running in and that's what I'm running as and that's because that's what exactly what I am. So I just, I, I, just, I just don't think that's a good idea for state government to get involved with that program. Thank you. Uh, and Ms. Critchfield, Mr. Durst is opposed to loan forgiveness. Uh, he doesn't want a larger role for government in education. And he says that he alone stands here as the 
single conservative on stage. What do you say to him? I think it's an interesting statement considering that um, he joined a conservative party, I don't know, two years ago. I'll let you speak to, to when that conversion took place. You know, I've been on um, the campaign trail with him for a while and um, repeatedly hear the statement uh, that, that he's the only conservative and it's, it's a little puzzling to me uh, for someone that's been a lifelong Republican to have someone new to the party and we're always happy to gain new people into the Republican Party uh, become the, the judge and jury of everybody around us. Um, that, that is conservative. Can I answer the question on the please loan forgiveness? Please, please. <laughs> Thank you for that. Um, I, I support uh, the loan forgiveness um, in, a, in a couple of ways uh, with conditions, uh, also through local uh, determination, through local budgets, and in places where teachers will go to rural districts. I am a strong advocate and proponent for our rural schools, and there are um, very unique challenges for those um, districts. And those things that we can do, um, local districts and other ways that we can incentivize teachers with, um, with knowledge and experience to be able to go out to those districts, I think is very critical. Let me just address that no, uh, criticism. Excuse me just a second, okay. in, in just a moment, okay. please. Ms. Yubar, I want to give you a chance first to respond to uh, Mr. Uh, Durst's last comments about your differences on, on your perception of the role of superintendent, please, if you'd like. Um, I, I appreciate that. My track record speaks for itself, and I don't need to stand up here and address any of, of that. Um, again, I think we need to build on the positive momentum in education. Somebody has to be the adult in the room. Kids are watching me, um, and so that's where I'll just leave that. Thank you. Mr. Durst, now, you've been accused of being a Johnny-come-lately to the Conservative Party. I'm just characterizing what you said. Yeah. How do you respond to that? Are, well, you, are, yeah, you a genuine, excuse me, are you a genuine conservative? And if you are, what distinguishes your brand of conservatism uh, from your opponents? Well, let me just point out that I'm the only one standing up here that's donated to Republican causes and conservative candidates, number one. Uh, I've, I've donated more than both of my opponents combined to Republican candidates. Number two, I'm the only one that's here that's actually changed and written part of the Republican platform. Number two. Uh, number three, not all Republicans are conservatives. I mean, geez, Debbie Christian's getting money from Fred Wood. No one would consider him a conservative. So, you know, if, 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 you, if you're known by the company you keep, certainly Debbie's not a conservative. And I'd also point out that nearly every single conservative group in the state of Idaho has endorsed my campaign. I've been the recommended candidate by nearly every single conservative central committee in the state of Idaho. Bonneville uh, has, 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 I've been a beneficiary of Bonneville's money. I've been able to be recommended by Kootenai County, by Bonner County. I expect that this will continue to grow and why? Why? Because they know I'm the conservative here. There's really no debate about that. And so I stand by my statement and frankly if you want to know who's supporting the, your, your opponent's campaign, just look no further than their donation list. I mean, Fred Wood's no conservative, and yet for some reason he's supporting Debbie Critchfield. So take that for what it's worth. Thank you, Mr. Durst. I want to come back to you, Ms. Critchfield. Thank you. Um, uh, Mr. Durst just indicated that he has support and endorsement from a number of people around the state. I understand from the news that today or yesterday you received endorsement from 27 state legislators, uh, leaders, legislative leaders. Are they conservatives or not conservatives? Uh, they are conservatives, and it's interesting um, that, that Mr. Durst, that you'd pick out Fred Wood of, of everyone. This is a, a pattern of yours to uh, 
point out certain people for certain reasons. For those of you that don't know, um, Representative Wood is a, a former doctor, retired doctor in the Kaja County area and has served in the legislature for more than 20 years. The fact that his um, voting um, or opinions don't align with yours does not make him not conservative. Um, for someone to come and say this is conservative or that is not. And, and to add on to that, well, I think is ridiculous. I'll finish that sentence. And then to add on to that, um, giving money to Republican or conservative um, politicians is a lot different than actually being elected in the party. I've been a precinct chair, the secretary of my central committee. I'm the state committee woman for the party. Um, I have a number of other ways um, that I can show through action and um, otherwise statements that I've made and people that support me. The fact that they don't support you does not make them not conservative. It just means they don't support you. Thank you. Uh, now to you, Ms. Yavara, these two candidates are touting their, their support and their credentials as conservatives. Uh, do you have some endorsements or supporters that you would like to mention who are uh, supporting your campaign? There is a list of supporters on my website. But again, I just go back to Idaho already had a politician as a state superintendent. We didn't do very well. I caution Idaho to pay attention. I am the only certified teacher in this race. I am Republican, uh, but I would choose wisely. Thank you. Uh, let's shift gears a little bit. I, I think I've heard all three of you articulate uh, the value that you are uh, chief supporters of education in the state that you are advocates for students. Are you also advocates for teachers? If you're advocates for teachers, in what ways have you demonstrated that, or would you like to demonstrate that in the future if you should be elected to this post? Well, I will start with you, Ms. Yavara. How much time do I have again? <laughs> I think you know how I feel about teachers. I am a teacher. I am the only one up here who ran a classroom, and the only one up here who ran a building. I'm the only one up here who dealt with federal funding, and that is a big, huge chunk of the money that comes into the state uh, to try to keep us out of trouble and also to push back on the federal government when they stick their nose in when they're not supposed to, and sometimes they suppose they do. Um, number one, number two, all the things that I have done should show you how I feel about teachers. My heart's with them. They're on the front lines with our kids every single day, and they did a great job during the pandemic. Uh, were parents uh, a little concerned about parental involvement? Yeah, so that's the next thing I'm going to work on May 1st. I'm going to uh, release a parental involvement toolkit, but our teachers did great. And um, the things that I have done is those $1,000 bonuses, the teacher raises, uh, the um, respect the teacher uh, campaigns that I have been running. And I will continue to do all those things that you have seen me do uh, since I take office. We're now looking at, I'm working with a superintendent uh, over past Boise a little bit next legislative session. I will be working with legislators once again uh, to bring forward a program uh, that looks a lot like mastery-based education. Uh, it's a project-based learning, but for teachers, uh, so they can quickly move through the system and that some of those student teachers that are out there uh, giving their hard-earned time can actually get paid and also get a contract. Uh, so those are some of the pieces that we're looking at already uh, for the legislative session next year uh, so that we can get those folks early and we can keep them in our classrooms uh, because next to the parent, we know that a highly qualified teacher uh, is one of the key indicators for success for our students across our state. Thank you. Uh, Ms. Critchfield, in your experience, you've been an advocate for teachers. If you win this office, what else might you do 
uh, to advocate for teachers if in fact you conceive of the superintendent's role as including that responsibility? I do in the sense of how we prepare and um, support the teacher before they're in the classroom and while they're in the classroom. I mentioned earlier um, my advocacy and recommendation uh, to the governor to build out the career ladder for those more experienced teachers to make sure that uh, we could retain those. I would add to that the work um, that I did uh, to actually phase out the master teacher uh, Educate, or the master educator premium. And the reason for that was how we honor the work that teachers are doing and put that into their base pay. That was put into place prior to me coming onto the board. Uh, there was a talk around the state. It was hard to administer. It was hard for teachers to fulfill. And so uh, being a listener and a problem solver, went to work with the legislators who had put that together in a way that, that made it more meaningful for our teachers and more productive and um, really economical for the state. I have a, a, did a, a significant amount of work while on the board um, on routes to earn a teacher certification, whether it is someone coming from a non-traditional path. Um, I help create a, a mastery-based program for teachers. It's currently administered at the College of Southern Idaho for teachers who, or for people who decide they want to get into education that had not decided that they wanted to do that previously in another career. How we help get talented uh, professionals back into or into the classroom I think is very important. And then also routes for teachers who were already in there to streamline those things. A number of work and a lot of communication with our college presidents and our education deans on how we prepare and how we support through mentoring and other programs. Thank you very much. And uh, Mr. Dirtz, do you, do, you perceive, do you conceive of this role as being an advocate of teachers? And if so, what would you do if you, if you uh, succeed in winning this office? Yes, I think it is an advocate for teachers. I mean, first and foremost, it's an advocate for parents. I think that's, just want to make sure that I'm really clear on that. I think that's the first job, is to be an advocate for parents. But I do think that being an advocate teacher is also an important part of that position. I was raised in a family of educators. My grandfather was a school teacher and a principal. My mom was a high school counselor. Um, Although you hear otherwise from Superintendent Barr, I have also been in charge of a classroom before. In fact, my hundreds of students that I've had would be surprised to hear that I haven't been. But um, so I, I, of course, I advocate for teachers. Uh, I've been one myself. Uh, my family's been, been a teacher. But at the end of the day, the best way that we advocate for teachers is by advocating for parents and making sure that they take on a bigger role. Because as teachers, as parents take on a larger role, it makes the job of an educator easier. We, did, we know that the, the, the research tells us that an engaged parent is the single most important factor in the, in the educational outcomes of a child. We know that's a fact. The second most important piece of that educational outcome is a qualified teacher. And so I believe we have to first address the major issue, which is the parent. The second, second thing we need to do is address the teacher. And that goes back to what I've been talking about all along. We've got to cut all the tape. We've got to get rid of government. We've got to get government out of the way. We need to let teachers make decisions on how they want to teach their classrooms. We need to set standards that are that align with our values as a state. And then we say, this is where we want you to be by the end of the year. We don't care how you get there, just get there. And we need to trust them to do that because they're professionals. Um, as long as they're doing so within the context of, of, of adhering to the state constitution and, and upholding our values as a state, I think we need to trust them to do that, and that's how we actually advocate for teachers, is by advocating for the, profession of, for the profession of education. All right, thank you, the three of you. Thank you very much. We have several questions dealing with an important topic, and that involves critical race theory, which was very controversial a year ago, particularly when the legislature passed a bill 
to prohibit the teaching of critical race theory here in Idaho schools. And that also came at the same time that the lieutenant governor had created a committee uh, to investigate whether or not critical race theory, socialism, Marxism, and communism, as she described it, were being taught in the public schools. Uh, a first question to you, Ms. Critchfield. Uh, in your view, uh, was there a problem in Idaho schools with the teaching of critical race theory? I did not see any systemic effort or existence of um, critical race theory, and, and I guess um, I'm, I'm gonna make some assumptions about how you define that, and um, I, I know that that means different things to different people, and um, I, I think what we're talking about are divisive ideologies uh, that, that may alter uh, the facts of history. And um, at the time that the legislation came forward, I was um, the only education official in the state that was at the table to help create House Bill 377. And I'm gonna preempt my opponent who's going to say that there is no teeth in there. And then I'm going to say to that, um, this legislation, there was no challenges to that and no other legislator brought any improvements forward. And so um, as, as we're looking at where we want to be and how we want to prepare our, our students, um, how we help our districts communicate with parents, and how we prepare our teachers to have these discussions, I think are very important from the state down. There are three things that I know about it. Parents are concerned that it's in the classrooms. Our teachers and our school districts say that it's not, and policymakers don't know what to do. And so how we talk in general, not whether it's CRT today or three years from now, I think is very important for, for a, a leader at the state level to help be a partner and to help, uh, to help guide. Thank you. Uh, same question to you, Mr. Durst. Did you anticipate that there was a problem in Idaho uh, of teachers teaching critical race theory, socialism, Marxism, or communism? Yes, I think that it's, it's been happening at Quay 12th and post-secondary for a while. It's, it's proliferated more. Um, and I've, in fact, when, when House Bill 377 was being formulated, uh, it was a state board that came in. I saw an original draft from Representative Ehard or from somebody in the legislature, and it was much stronger. And then the state board got involved and the bill got watered down. Um, and now we know that no district in the state of Idaho has changed its policy as a result of House Bill 377. There's just a video, an undercover video, um, that was published last week or a week and a half ago that showed the districts are just changing the name. And I think it's curious that both of my opponents have said in a variety of different formats that CRT isn't really the problem, we don't need to worry about it, it's not happening here. That's what they've said. And in fact, uh, the State Board of Education led by uh, Ms. Critchfield actually pushed a diversity, equity, and inclusion policy. And that's a fact, June 2021, she was the one that pushed that policy. It's on the record. And that's CRT, that's another version of CRT. I've been standing against, I have stood against CRT and all of its derivatives uh, firmly. I've got a plan to make sure that those things aren't taught, neither the K-12 or post-secondary uh, world, it's something that actually has teeth, something that's not just a five-point plan to make us feel better, but something that actually is gonna get something done. And so I believe we need real leadership who takes this issue seriously, who's going to do something about it, and who wants to be able to protect the children of Idaho and the parents of Idaho from this insidious and hateful uh, ideologies. Thank you. So here's a follow-up for you, and then I'll give your two opponents the same opportunity. First of all, you, you stated that uh, CRT was proliferating throughout the state. 
Uh, we would like to know what evidence you have, what parts of the state, sure. and secondly, uh, everybody would like to know, uh, how would you define critical race theory? So we have, it's a good question. So we have, uh, for example, in Coeur School District, they have something called Portrait of a Graduate, which is a form of uh, transformative SEL. Uh, that is a version of CRT. That's happening right now in the Coeur School District. That's been, been happening for the last two or three years. We know that the same thing is sort of, those same sorts of things are happening in the Navajo School District, the Boise School District. It's happening in Idaho. Uh, we also know that the state of Washington passed a law two legislative sessions ago that mandate the teaching of CRT. It doesn't take long for things to cross over the border from Washington State into Idaho. And uh, so those things are happening. How do we define CRT? So I think oftentimes what happens is these arguments become pedantic because what happens is uh, people say that those that, that, that want us to believe that CRT isn't happening say CRT is a legal theory that happens in legal education and so it's obviously not happening in K-12 education. Well, they know very well that when people talk about CRT, they're not talking specifically just about that. CRT is the term that we've given to this larger idea of social justice indoctrination. So when we talk about social justice indoctrination, it's a theme of Marxism. It's an idea that we take and we play, break people into groups. Typically, Marxism breaks people into groups based off of their economic class. But in this case, we're breaking them up into, into classes based off of the color of their skin. On one side, you've got a group of people that are oppressed. And on the other side, you've got a group of people that are doing the oppressing. And that's what's happening. Things like Portrait of a Graduate teaches kids to be ashamed of who they are because of the color of their skin. And it makes victims out of people of color. I think that's wrong. That's not constructive. That's frankly, in my view, a violation of Article 9, Section 1 of the Idaho Constitution, which requires us to, to, to have a public school system that supports a Republican form of government. And I'm here today to tell you that I will support Article 9, Section 1, and I will do whatever I can within the power of the state superintendent's office to make sure the districts aren't violating it. Thank you. Uh, we'll come back with another follow-up. But, Ms. Yabar, to you first. Did you perceive that there was uh, an issue or a problem in this state with teachers teaching critical race theory? And, and how might you define critical race theory? Well, first I'll correct one of my opponents who said she was the only one at the table why the legislation was being written. She told the public back in April uh, a couple years ago that she was not in a position to take a position, uh, and that is a statement that you can look up. Uh, number two, I publicly supported uh, the legislation that came out saying uh, I don't believe in CRT. Uh, and I don't support it, and I haven't talked to a person I think that does in Idaho. We're over 80% Republican, and so thank goodness we haven't seen uh, us be an example in uh, some of those scary places like, um, you know, Virginia and, and a couple other places. But the Hillsdale College Journal uh, didn't mention Idaho either, and that's a, a pretty uh, prominent uh, magazine that we all read, and so I was pretty proud of that. And I am the only candidate up here as an educator that started traveling the state visiting social studies classes and government classes, and what I saw was the Constitution being taught, the Declaration of Independence being taught, uh, those very things that we expect being taught in our government social studies classes. Yes, parents are worried about it. Yes, it's growing. Uh, it's, gr it's a growing concern across our state. Uh, but it is my job as the superintendent to be the adult in the room and say, uh, we are not having the issues that we are seeing in a couple of those other scary examples. Am I going to say it never happens? No, because I'm not the parent that would stand up here and say, my kid would never. Uh, am I going to say that it's rampant in Idaho? It's a huge problem, and we all need to uh, fire teachers, which we know if you were an experienced state superintendent is not your job. 
job, that's the job of the local school board. No, uh, I have investigated every single allegation on your behalf and I will continue to do that. And I have given superintendents a five point plan to address CRT, which includes make sure you educate yourself and make sure you ask for examples. Thank you, and back to you, Ms. Critchfield. Do you perceive a widespread problem, and uh, is there any evidence of the teaching of CRT which you have addressed, but now continuing the discussion, uh, do you, how would you define CRT, uh, and, and uh, this, as Janice McGeehan indicated, the scourge of communism, Marxism, and socialism being taught in Idaho schools? I think I addressed what I, how I define that when we first had the question, what I would like to address is a, 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 a correction of, of Mr. Durr saying that I have said that, there, that CRT doesn't exist. I have not said that. What I have said is that there's not a systemic problem around the state. I have absolutely had conversations with parents and with teachers and others who have, because of more information and more understanding about the issue, thought, hmm, maybe this is something that we shouldn't have had in our classroom, or maybe this is a conversation um, that we needed to have. Um, I don't recall the, the statement that uh, Mrs. Ibarra is referring to, but I can confidently tell you that when I was in the House of Representatives um, conference room that I was the only education person there in the room, and um, neither one of them were there, and so I think they're speaking of things that they don't know about, and uh, there was about nine different versions of the bill before it came forward and uh, it was definitely influenced, if not led, by the legislature. But there was an education piece there that was important to be had for someone to talk about what is currently taking place, what is it they were trying to guard against, and what, what is the perceived threat? What are the expectations? And, and those are important conversations uh, that I was invited into as the president of the Board of Education as a respected leader for the state. Thank you very much. Continue with this discussion and linking it to uh, one of the superintendent's uh, proposals uh, and the promotions of the idea of elevating the teaching of civic education in this state. I want to turn to you, Mr. Durst. Given those two items, critical race theory on the one hand and the uh, promotion of civic education in the schools, would you have a problem if teachers taught that African Americans were oppressed at the founding of our nation that they were enslaved and that and slavery was followed by Jim Crow, uh, segregation, and uh, pervasive racism in America. So I, th I would, I certainly think we need to teach history as it existed, right? That's the critical piece. We've got, look, the state of Idaho has a great example of a stain in our American, in, in American history that we should be teaching children about. The state of Idaho interned a bunch of Japanese people uh, during World War II in Minidoka County. That's wrong. We should be teaching about that. Students should know what cultural context existed that led to something like that happening. I support teaching that. I support us, you know, making sure that students are informed. What I don't support, I think this is where parents get concerned. As a parent, this is where I get concerned. Is when we cross over from the historical objective analysis to some sort of subjective assessment of what's going on. And where students are led to believe that they should feel less about themselves because they happen to share the same ancestry as those who are doing the oppressing in the first place. That's where the problem is. Can we talk about the fact that there was, you know, that there was slavery in the state of Idaho, or there was slavery in the United States? Yes. We should also talk about the fact that there's been slavery in almost every country in the world. That's not, that's not a unique problem to either white people or Americans. 
In fact, we still have slavery in some African nations. Um, and so I think we need to be able to provide that information in an objective way and be able to provide the cultural context so people understand why it could have happened and what the impact was. But then to take that second step, as I was saying, that then creates a value judgment upon that situation, I think that's when it's wrong. We have to trust parents to make that, help the students make that, that leap to the value judgment and something that reflects their values as a family. Because at the end of the day, we're, the, the education system is there to impart knowledge, not to impart values. And as long as the department, is, as long as this, the education system is imparting knowledge, then we trust parents to impart the values to interpret that knowledge. Thank you. So, Ms. Yabara, linking the two, critical race theory and, and your promotion of further uh, teaching of civic education, do you have a problem if teachers uh, teach that at the beginning of our nation, our nation practiced slavery, it was followed by Jim Crow segregation, and then pervasive racial discrimination in this country? Do you have an issue if teachers in Idaho teach that? Well, as the state superintendent, let me correct my opponents. Our job, my job, I, I cannot fire a teacher. That is not what I do. But when you violate the statute and somebody finds that out, you are taken before your local board, which then the complaint comes before the Professional Standards Commission. That is the process in the state of Idaho. Now, the definition for CRT, uh, it began as an academic movement in 2001. It sought to argue that because the U.S. had a past history that included official and societal elements of white supremacy, its laws, institutions, and systems have been and remain now and will for the foreseeable future will be racist as they cannot be detached from the past. As the mother of an interracial child, as the teacher of and teachers in this room, if you are one, will understand we take all the blueberries, right? No matter what. And so uh, the law is clear in Idaho now that we are not to teach anything related to CRT. If you, as an educator, you know this, are accused of that, you will go before your local board, and then that um, violation will get turned over to the Professional Standards Commission. I have already stated, and I will be very clear, as the mother of an interracial child, I do not support critical race theory or its teachings, and I have yet to find somebody who does. It is in higher education philosophy. It typically does not lie in K-12 education, and that is why I got the texts when the legislature enacted the law that I supported that said, Sherry, what is critical race theory anyway in K through 12? Half the time, teachers don't even know what it is. But I won't say that it never happens. I don't have eyes in the back of my head. But that is the job of the local school board to make sure those incidences, if they do happen, which I've not seen, and I've investigated all alleged accusations, go to the PSC and before the local Thank board. You. Thank you, Ms. Yabara. And to you, Ms. Critchfield, uh, linking the two, critical race theory <clears throat> and uh, the advancement of civic education in the public schools, would you have a problem if teachers teach that um, white men and women enslaved black Americans, that that was followed by Jim Crow legislation and pervasive racial discrimination in our country? I support historical facts as they happened in history. And I'll repeat the, something that we have, you have heard and, and I have said and, and we've seen it and, and I believe it to be true that how we uh, teach our children is about how to think and not what to think. And, and when we're leading them uh, to conclusions or inserting uh, a, a system of values that is outside the scope of, of what the school is intended to do. Um, 
because we're here and I don't have the red card yet, um, I have to point out the contradictions of our current superintendent who has been on film uh, in the Kootenai County Republican Party uh, saying that it was present in uh, that school district and then later uh, making phone calls to the district to say that she misspoke. Um, I am an honest person and I believe that the, the person that needs to be elected needs to be someone of integrity uh, that will be forthright and uh, whether it's CRT or however we prepare students or whatever the issues is, that you need to come forward and, and state what is the situation and work with people and help them. Thank you. Uh, Ms. Yabar, I'm going to give you a chance to reply to Ms. Critchfield's comment. Well, that was a Republican event and my, my opponent wasn't even there. So she wasn't there when I talked to the superintendent in Coeur d'Alene anyway, and he and I have put that behind us. And I was addressing that community's concerns. You can look at the video and what I said was, I am here, I have heard your concerns, and I will investigate every single allegation, and I did. That's my job. That's what you hired me to do. Uh, please, there, sir, rebuttal. Thank Ms. you. It is correct that I was, was not there, and I did watch the video because it was recorded, and I did actually speak with the superintendent of Coeur d'Alene, who is a supporter of mine. So, thank you. Can I um, answer uh, that? 30 seconds. I will be in Coeur d'Alene in two weeks to visit that school district. And uh, congratulations that that is your, a supporter of yours. Uh, but again, he and I have put that behind us. And again, it is my job to throw an elbow as the state superintendent. I'm not afraid to do that. I'm not here to go along to get along. I hold people accountable. And um, he and I have put that behind us. And you were not there. And you were not in the room for the conversations. And what you just said is not true. Thank you. 10 seconds. 30 seconds, please. I'm not talking about going along to get along. I'm, I'm talking about being honest. That, that's very different. And I wasn't in the room, but I communicated those things that I am a part of. So if those things aren't true, the, then you've got a lot of work to do to correct the perceptions that people have about you. Thank you both. Uh, and now, Mr. Durst, I'd like you to weigh in on this controversy. This is great because I think what we're hearing is two education insiders fighting about which school districts support them and which ones don't. I'm not here to get the support of school districts. That's not what I'm here to fight for. I'm here to fight for parents. And so if, if listeners or, or those in the audience want someone to be fighting for them, if you're a parent, I'm your guy because I don't care if, if this superintendent of the Coeur d'Alene School District or any other school district supports me. I don't care if a teacher in this district or this district supports me. What I care about is whether or not parents support me. Because at the end of the day, that's who I'm responsible to. That's who I answer to. Those are the people that I'm trying to get support from, is those who actually should be making the decisions on behalf of their children. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Durst, uh, first question to you. Uh, and you referenced the Idaho Constitution a couple of times. Uh, and of course, you know that all students are guaranteed an equal education here in Idaho, which means a, rule, a role for government. Mm -hmm. Under the philosophy that money should follow the student, doesn't that disadvantage some districts because some districts will end up having more money, some districts will have less money, and wouldn't that thus undermine the idea of an equal education for Idaho students? It actually does the opposite, um, David. When we, the way that my legislation is written, 95% of all school districts in the, in the state of Idaho see an increase or will maintain their current level of per pupil funding. 90% of all public school students will see an increase or will maintain their current level of per pupil funding. That's the way that my legislation is drafted, is to be able to protect all those things, because I agree. In fact, right now, we have a huge list of districts that have and a huge list of districts that have not. My legislation fixes that problem. 
And so I absolutely believe that we have to do that to be to comport with Article 9, Section 1 of the Idaho State Constitution. Having money follow students actually also, because we're only talking about state funds, we're not talking about local, locally generated revenue, we're not talking about federal revenue in our title programs. Because we're only talking about those specific dollars, the ones from our state general fund, as students leave the system, the, the students that are left behind will still get the entire benefit of the locally generated and the federal funds. So we'll actually see more money for those students who are generally disadvantaged because they don't have a parent who's engaged, as is engaged, and that's why they're still in the public school system in some cases. Um, not all cases, some cases because the school district's awesome, and that's great. But what we can say is, most of the time, and oftentimes, because the amount of money per student will increase in the public system, those students will actually be better off. And what we'll see is overall, all the rising tides will raise all boats, not just those in the select districts. And so I'm, I think this is actually a good way to, salute, to solve that problem. As you're well aware, David, the state Supreme Court had an issue on this uh, a decade and a half ago. And there was a Supreme Court case that came and said, you aren't adequately funding schools because there's not that level of equity that we expect. This helps, that's help, this helps solve that problem without raising taxes, which is, I think, the conservative way to go about doing it. Thank you. So I'm not a candidate, so I won't comment on the court's decision. Back to you, Ms. Critchfield. Same, same question. Uh, if, the, if we employ the philosophy that money follows the students, do you see a disadvantage uh, resulting in, in some districts as opposed to others? Money does follow the student and has for the last two years. And that was a, a change that um, our districts talked about last year during our what I would call our COVID school year and, and something that I brought forward as president of the Board of Education that was later supported by, um, the, by the legislature and the governor. And, and so what we're really talking about here is money going to private schools. Um, and because as of now with the enrollment change, uh, money does go with the kid. And I, I think that's important to point out. Um, as, as you know, school choice, or you may not know, but as we talk about in the state, school choice is an important element of, of Idaho. And parents are not limited in where their students can, can attend school. Uh, my priority is to, with school choice or any type of ESA program, is that we are not defunding public education and it does not come at the expense of rural schools. 70% of Idaho are, are rural schools and they don't have choices. And so how we talk about this I think is important, but we can do it in a way that balances and respects the choices of our parents. Thank you very much. And so do you, Ms. Yavara. Do you see the system of funding resulting in inequitable funding uh, for some districts as opposed to others? Some districts essentially are wealthier, some are poor. Does that does that undermine the idea of an equal education for Idaho students throughout the state? Well, again, I would say we get a lot of bang for our buck, but yes, you heard me say earlier, there's a system of haves and have-nots because some people can run a levy while other people cannot. The major issue right now is facilities, and there was a, a report that came out, thank goodness, for the Office of Performance Evaluation saying that our facilities across the nation and in Idaho are aging and they uh, need some repair. So I have a plan next year. I sit on the Board of Land Commissioners. I'm a school board member for Idaho School for the Deaf and the Blind. I'm actually their chairwoman. But I hear the same thing. My point is all over the place. So as a board member on the uh, Land Commissioners, I'm going to bring forward an idea to use that money that schools get uh, from our natural resources to build a savings account just like our insurance um, that we were successful in getting through this year for our teachers building that bank account I'd like to do the same thing for our facilities so we can uh, start working on that haves and have-nots 
uh, moving forward, number one, number two. Uh, within our system, I have uh, increased school choice by over 40% over my led, uh, over in my time in office, and I believe parents have the right to choose the best system for their students. I will say, however, if it comes at a cost uh, of um, taking siphoning money away from public schools, once again, I will remind everybody that I am the superintendent of public instruction. And the, the public has been clear. There was a new study from RISE right here that says the public primarily wants our public schools funded correctly, that that's where our, uh, most of our efforts need to be put. You have seen me work on that. While I am a supporter of school choice, I am not a supporter of vouchers until you can show me how that would work in a state that's more than 70% rural. Where would you send a kid in Salmon, Idaho with a voucher? So. Um, if someone could show me how that could get done uh, without siphoning money away from public schools, then I'd be willing to have a conversation. Uh, but again, uh, school choice is huge for me. I am a supporter, and kids and parents have the right to make those decisions. It's Thank you. Best Thank you very needs. much. David. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, our time together has rapidly uh, expired. We now move to the final phase and ask each candidate to take three minutes uh, for closing remarks. We begin with Ms. Critchfield. Thank you. I want to thank all of you uh, for taking time tonight to come and hear from us and, and hear our messages and, and understand a little bit more about where we are. To me, the question that we have right now is not whether or not we need change, if we should have change. We need change. It is time for that. It has been eight years. The things that you've heard um, the current superintendent talk about and things that she's going to do, it's been eight years. Where, where, has, where have those ideas and where have those changes been? When she took office, a child that was in kindergarten is about to enter the eighth grade. We need to think differently about how we educate and prepare our children. If there was ever a time to pivot our educational system to fit the needs of the 21st century student, it is now. We need the leadership. We need the vision. You've heard us tonight. I have a different message. I hope that you've heard that there is a different message that focuses on leadership and how we prepare our students. I want you to think and imagine what could happen if we had, when we take the prepared teacher with an engaged parent, we could spark a generation of skilled and confident learners that are ready to take on the opportunities in their communities and in a growing state. I have experience where it counts. It's interesting to me that my other opponent touts his legislative experience and then yet says he is an outsider. Think carefully about the things that you've heard tonight. Study us carefully. Where we go from here and the leaders that you put into place on May 17th are critical to where Idaho is five years now, 10 years from now. Don't take numbers that are thrown at you. Don't take some of the things that you've heard, including what I've said at face value. Do some investigation. Learn and understand where do you want our students to be. I want to focus on vocational skills. I want to focus on preparing our students financially with a literacy, financial literacy requirement. I want our students to be able to do things, not just know things. I want to rethink and reimagine our high school experience for our students, how we graduate our students, and how they feel about the diploma that they have and how that prepares them. I am hopeful, I am encouraged, and I know that together we can create the system that fits our needs, that is student-centered, parent-supported, and educator-supported. 
This is going to take leadership. It's going to take someone with the relationships and someone that knows what they're doing. Someone that can reestablish the trust that we've lost, not only with our, our legislature, but with our educators, with our parents, and with our students. <clears throat> Pardon me. I've said it two times before, and I want to say it again because I think it's this important. Idaho deserves a strong educational leader. I want to be that leader. I thank you for your time. I'm asking for your vote, and have a wonderful evening. Thank you very much. Um, to you, Mr. Durst, three minutes for closing remarks, please. Uh, thank you again to the City Club of, of Idaho Falls for the opportunity to be here tonight. And for all the, the of you that have watched us live and those that are going to watch us on the recorded um, stream. As I said an hour ago, you, this race, again, just comes down to two competing visions for the future of Idaho education. You know, we've got a vision that believes that government knows best of education insiders, people that have been in the system for a long, long time and think that's the best way to be able to prepare them to be able to do this job. And then you've got somebody like me who believes something very different, who believes that we need to trust parents, who, thinks, who believes that we shouldn't be mandating masks, who believes a statewide mask mandate is something that we should support, who's somebody that believes that we shouldn't be forcing our children to be vaccinated, someone who believes that parents have the right to enter their children's classroom, and who believes that parents have the right to, vi to view curriculum, lesson plans, lesson notes, and anything else related to the education of their children. That's what I stand for. That's what I believe in. In fact, I tried to pass a piece of legislation this session to get that very thing done. And unfortunately, uh, Ms. Critchfield's two supporters in the state, state Senate Education Committee made sure that didn't happen. That's a problem. I believe in parental rights, and I, and I will continue to push for them because I think they're critically important. At the end of the day, we really have a simple choice to make. If you want things to continue the way they are, you should reelect Superintendent Ibarra or you should elect Debbie Critchfield. Both of them have been a prime position in the last seven years to make a major impact on Idaho education. They have, neither of them have done it. The fact of the matter is the State Board of Education is the one place where education policy really can change because that has the responsibility for rules review and to write rules, which are the, which are the way that we actually implement law. Neither of my opponents took advantage of the opportunity that they had as members of the State Board of Education. And so I'm offering you a different vision. Someone that believes we should end Common Core once and for all. Someone that says we should actually stop critical race theory and have a policy to make sure it does. And someone who believes that funding students instead of systems is critical to advancing, the advancement, to advancing Idaho education. Look, it doesn't matter where you live. You can have, you can have um, school choice even if you're in Salmon, Idaho. You can still have that happen. And you know how? By creating a micro school of 10, which, which all you have to do is find 10 students to get together. And through a micro-school program, you can have school choice in your own community, no matter how big or how small that is. This is how we revolutionize education in Idaho. Idaho should be a leader in conservative education thoughts. We should be a leader. We shouldn't be having to continue to envy the state of Florida and the state of Texas for the things they're doing. We should be a leader. We shouldn't have to have Governor DeSantis envy forever. We need to read a leader in the state of Idaho. I'm running for state superintendent, state superintendent of public instruction. My name is Brandon Durst, and I'd appreciate your support. Thank you. Thank you very much. And to you, superintendent, three minutes for closing remarks. Well, I just want to give once again City Club a very heartfelt thank you, and to you all in the crowd who've had the patience to sit and listen to this entire debate, thank you very much. Um, I think we all know in Idaho that we want our kids to continue to achieve. An effective leader is someone who has the experience and the knowledge and the background to have a plan when they show up and a vision and carry it out to sustain those positive changes. Effective leaders like myself, 
Again, know how to get rid of what's not working and to keep what is. Good leaders also recognize that education really has two beneficiaries, the students themselves and then everyone else in this room and everyone else in Idaho. So this election will not only affect student achievement, but it will also affect the trajectory of our state for many, many years to come. I know that we as Idahoans know that everybody's moving here because we are successful. We have a good state and nobody believes that our kids are failing. Uh, those statistics that I rattled off to you earlier are not mine. They are third party statistics and we cannot argue with the facts. And so I want to continue that positive momentum to see our students succeed. Do we have work to do? Absolutely. Yes, we do. And the things that I will continue to work on are the things that you all have told me. Parental involvement, making sure our kids are on grade level by the end of the third grade to read, and also making sure that we attract, retain, and respect our great teachers and our great leaders because that is part of the Republican Party's platform is to respect our educators. So I think about the over 300,000 children that will be affected by this next election. And they need a superintendent like myself who has done the job. I am the only certified teacher in this race who has walked in the shoes of our educators across this state. I can tell you as a teacher myself that I would have a very hard time with my leader if they did not know what I experienced. And I, will, I have a proven track record of success. So with that, I am Sherry Ibarra, your State Superintendent of Public Instruction. And I would be honored to represent you again for another term. And please stay with me while I take us to top 10 in the nation for achievement. And like the kids say on May 17th, please vote for Sherry in the primary. Thank you. Thank you very much. Ladies and gentlemen, we've just enjoyed a very thorough exchange of different views on the subject of education and the role of the state superintendent. And I think that you'll all now find it easier to cast your votes on May 17. Let's give these three candidates a very warm round of applause and thank you all very much. You've been listening to the Republican Primary Candidate Forum for the State Superintendent of Public Instruction, featuring Debbie Critchfield, Brandon Durst, and Sherry Ybarra. This candidate forum was hosted by the Idaho Humanities Council and the City Club of Idaho Falls on April 6th at the Tingey Auditorium at University Place. Candidate forums continue from the City Club of Idaho Falls before the May 17th primaries. On April 25th, District 32, Kevin Cook and Keith Newberry for Senator, Nicholas Christensen and Stephanie Jo Mickelson for House Seat A. District 33 on Tuesday, April 26th for Senator Dave Lent and Brian Schultz. And House Seat A, Barbara Ehart and Jeff Thompson. Then Wednesday, April 27th, District 35. House Seat B, Chad Christensen and Josh Wheeler. There is no charge for these events at the Tingey Auditorium in Idaho Falls. Visit ifcityclub.com for more information.